It's great to be here with you all. Uh, my name is Tim Greeno. I'm one of the pastors at Walnut Creek. Uh, if you're newer with us, we want to say welcome. It's always nice to have uh, visitors, and, and we uh, we want you to take advantage of the time that you have here this morning, for sure. So uh, while you're here, take some time to say hello to a few folks. And also, on your way out this morning, uh, stop by the Welcome Center. Say hi, introduce yourselves, um, find out how you can take a few steps just to get connected into the church. Uh, really, we, we believe it's God's desire that believers would walk in fellowship with other believers in the church. And so our hope is uh, that we would make it easy for you to, to take some steps towards that end. Uh, so do that while you're here. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis this morning. We're studying through uh, the book of Genesis as a church. And we're in Genesis chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you get it out, get it open. Uh, if you have a scripture journal, get that out. Open it up to Genesis Chapter 15, we'll start our time this morning in the Word together. Okay, so we'll read through our text. We'll take a couple minutes to pray with one another, and then we'll be on our way studying the Word. So Genesis chapter 15, uh, we've got the first six verses today. It says this, After these events, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God... What can you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? He continued, look, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look at the sky and count them. If you are able to count them. And then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It's the text that we're going to be in this morning, familiar text, uh, no doubt for many of you. Uh, but before we get in and study it, we're going to take some time to pray. And if you're newer here, uh, one thing that we do most Sunday mornings is we start our time uh, in the Word just praying for one another, okay? Putting our heads together with the neighbor and then praying with one another, praying for one another. So I'm going to give you about two minutes here. Uh, you can stay in your seats if you'd like or move around a little bit if you need to. Uh, but just put your heads together with somebody else and pray for one another. Pray for each other's hearts that we would be alert, tender, humble, teachable, ready to roll this morning, okay? So let's take a couple minutes here and do that. And then I'll jump in and pray with all of us and we'll be on our way in the Word. On your marks, get set, and pray.
Heavenly Father, God, we, we thank you this morning. Thank you that you are, are good and faithful to your promises, God. There are so many days that they seem to us, God, probably insignificant or just another day, Lord. And, and yet, uh, it's a day that you have made. It's a day that only exists because you say so. God, you cause the sun to rise. Lord, you sustain life. You, uh, God, you, you, we just think about your plan that you have been unfolding and executing for thousands of years, God. And we, we thank you, Lord, that, um, God, we can trust you. And I pray this morning as we see, God, just your faithful word coming to Abraham, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, reminded, God, that what we need, it it really comes from you, your promises, Lord. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and comforted today. God, help us to worship you, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, uh, last week we studied in Genesis chapter 14, and, and for those of you who were with us, um, you know, first of all, I'm just curious, did, did, I, did I persuade anybody uh, to make a career change last week? We got any, anybody looking to become an actuary? Anybody looking to come out of retirement just because you feel like you missed out on being an actuary? Um, we gave it the hard sell last week, I'll say that. My, my dad, he says that I have a euphoric memory, <laughs> which means that I only remember the good stuff, which I'll just tell you, that's a lot better than only remembering the bad stuff. Uh, but but we, we didn't just talk about uh, the joys of being an actuary last week. We also did tackle Genesis chapter 14. And in Genesis chapter 14, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing for you this morning, uh, but just to give you the cliff notes of it, Abraham... His nephew Lot, he very foolishly planted himself in the city of Sodom. And because of that, he was caught in a war when war came. And he was taken off, hauled away by these four incredibly powerful, violent kings. And Abraham had to go out and rescue his nephew Lot. And he did that. He overtook these kings, defeated them, brought back his nephew Lot, brought back all of the the people and possessions that they had ransacked along the, the way. And he comes, and, and after the fight had all settled, he receives a blessing from God's king priest, Melchizedek. And he gives him a tenth out of everything. And then the rest of it, he takes it, and he throws it at the feet of the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom says, hey, look, we'll, we'll just take the people. You can have all the possessions. And Abraham says, no, 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 over my dead body. I won't take a, a single thing from you so that no one can say that you have made Abraham rich. Okay. And so in the process of all of that, Abraham, we see no doubt he proved himself faithful to God, faithful to God in his word, in his promises, the oath he had made to the Lord. He proves his love to his nephew Lot, uh, but also, and this is very important for us to catch, as Abraham uh, did what he did in Genesis 14, he made some very powerful enemies, some very powerful enemies. And Abraham, he's just been through this very, like, highly traumatic situation. That's what war is. It is extremely traumatic, high stress, high intensity. And then on top of it, he has made himself a plethora of enemies. And that's the background music that we arrive to Genesis 15 through. And so we come to the word this morning, and we need to recognize 
Like there are very significant concerns lingering in the heart of Abraham as God comes to him in Genesis 15. Okay, and we're going to see those concerns drawn out in our text. That's going to be the primary thing that we really see working into this text is the concerns sitting on the heart of Abraham. And we're going to work through our text in this way. First, we're just going to identify those concerns Draw those out from the word. Then we will see how God brings comfort to Abraham. And then lastly, there's this very interesting conclusion to the text. The crediting of righteousness to Abraham. And we'll see what that has to do with God's comfort and Abraham's concerns and and how all of that relates through the text. But first, we're going to start just by drawing out the concerns of Abraham's heart from the word. Okay? And there's a reason why Abraham has concerns weighing heavy On his heart. And and the concerns of Abraham, they really split into two different categories. And I think we are surprised to not see any of this really come out in Genesis 14. But in Genesis 15, we see it right away. That's what we're confronted with, okay? And they split into two basic categories these concerns weighing on Abraham's heart. One is his concern for people. And when we say that, what we really mean is like safety. He's concerned for life, he's concerned about. Like his circumstances and whether or not he is going to be safe and his family and those that he cares about are going to be kept safe. Okay? And, and, and it never gets explicitly, this concern in the heart of Abraham never gets explicitly expressed in Genesis 14 or in Genesis 15. But we can infer it by a number of different data points in the, in the word. Okay, and data point number one is that Abraham has ticked off pretty much every powerful person within like a hundred mile radius of him. Okay, so like all of all of the, the the mighty powerful kings of the territory that Abraham is in, he's made them angry. Like these four kings, well, he defeated them, and, and they're violent men, not used to they, they lead armies, not used to losing. Okay? And there's no guarantees that these four kings aren't going to come back in retaliation and look to destroy Abraham. And so there's concern around that. But then like the five kings who those four kings had defeated, those five kings, well, Abraham probably upset them as well because what he did, the king of Sodom comes as a representative of these five kings He's like, Abraham, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for rescuing us. We'll take the people. Here's a gift. All of the possessions, they're all yours. And Abraham, he doesn't just like kind of subtly dance around it or like back away. (laughs) He, He like seems to go out of his way to offend the king of Sodom. And he's like, nope, I won't even take the strap of a sandal from you. I'd like I'd rather be dead than take anything from you. So that no one can ever say you made me rich. And if you've ever spent any time, uh, particularly in this part of the world, to reject a gift is a deep offense. And Abraham like utterly rejects what he has been offered by the king of Sodom. So all these kings, like Abraham hasn't made himself any friends in the last couple of weeks. Okay, And so God comes to him, the very first thing that he says when God comes to Abraham... Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Don't be afraid. I am here, and I am your shield. 
Abraham was concerned for his own life and for the lives of the people that he cared about. Weighed heavy on his heart. But he was also very concerned for the promise. Okay, the, the second category of things that weighed heavy on the heart of Abraham were the promises of God. Abraham, he, he had a deep concern and desire for God's promises to be fulfilled through his life. When we say that, that Abraham, he had a deep concern for the promises of God to be fulfilled in his life, it, that is not to say that Abraham here was like just waffling in unbelief. Okay, that's not the right image to evoke from this passage. But instead, it is to say that like what, what weighed heavily on his heart, what really concerned him, what, what, what had a hold of his heart, it was the promises of God. That's what Abraham really cared about. He had a deep concern for God's promises to actually be fulfilled. And I think in a lot of ways you would be right to conclude. Abraham's heart, it weighed heavier for God's promises than for anything else. Even for his own safety. The concern around the promises of God being fulfilled, that was even greater than his concern for his own safety. And that's a good thing. I think that is something that a lot of people have a very hard time Grasping or understanding. Like, how could you have a greater concern for the promises of God than your own safety? But that's a good thing. And I think that really did weigh heavier on the heart of Abraham than anything else. They meant so much to Abraham. The promises of God. And the promises of God coming to Abraham, they also were kind of split into two different categories. Promise for the offspring and promise for the land. Okay? And, and the passage next week, back half of Genesis 15, it's all about the promise of the land. But for today, we're going to see Abraham's heart weighing heavy around the promise for offspring. And where this promise for offspring started was all the way back in Genesis 11 when we first get introduced to Abraham. Okay, The, the first thing we learn about Abraham is this, Abraham, uh, Genesis 11:29. Abram and Nahor, which was uh, Abraham's brother, they both took wives. Abraham's wife was named Sarai. Okay, so keep that in mind. Remember Sarai? And Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran. Haran is actually also Abraham's brother, Lot's dad. Okay, and Haran was the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was unable to conceive. I mean, she was, she was barren. She did not have a child and it's childless Abraham with a barren wife who is then called out by God and given an incredible promise. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord then said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. Childless Abram with a barren wife. God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And that promise of God in Genesis chapter 12, it's not confusing to Abraham. He knows exactly what God is saying. He's saying, I'm going to give you offspring. How are you going to become a mighty nation? The way you're going to become a mighty nation is, is through offspring. You will have offspring. And you will be great. You will be a blessing, a mighty nation in the world. And then God, he confirms this promise and doubles down on it in Genesis 13. 
So we're introduced to Abraham in 11. Childless Abraham. He's given this incredible promise in 12. You're going to be a mighty nation of offspring. I will make you a blessing to the world. And then in 13, he confirms it. He says, look from the place where you are, Abraham. Look to the north, to the south, to the east and the west. I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if the dust could be counted, then that is how numerous your offspring would be. He says, Abraham, I want you to look down for me for a second. Just look to the ground. See the grains of the sand. If you could count all the grains of the sand, that's how numerous your offspring will be. And then we get to Genesis 14. Okay? And Abraham defeats these mighty kings. And he's been through hell on earth. He he has been through war. And he could have had all the spoil, all the possessions that you could ever imagine or dream of in your life. It's all offered to him. He looks at the king of Sodom and he says, no. Nope. I don't want a thing. Because I have better promises from God than anything you could ever possibly offer me. What I have in the Lord is far greater than anything you could ever give. I will walk with the Lord. Okay? That's Genesis 14. And now the fighting is over. The dust is settled. Things have settled down. And Abraham is alone to his own thinking. And there are concerns weighing heavy on the heart of Abraham. He has been through a lot. And there are concerns weighing heavy on the heart of Abraham. And he's wondering, first of all, like, are these guys coming back after me? Are they, like, am I going to be hunted now? I've kind of made enemies out of everybody around me. And he's also wondering this, Lord, where are we at with your promises? Sarah's not getting any younger. I'm not getting any younger. You gave this promise to me quite a while ago. What is going on? Are, am I doing something wrong? Where are we at with your promises? When will they be fulfilled? And so then God comes to Abraham in Genesis 15. And he comes to me and he says, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield and I will be your very great reward. But Abram said, Lord, what could you give me? What reward could you possibly give me since I am still childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Look, you've given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. He says, honestly, Lord, I don't really care about a great reward. That's not what I'm interested in. I want your promises. I want what you have promised. What about your promises? When are your promises going to be fulfilled? I think that might sound a little bit offensive to us. Or a little bit entitled. It's kind of like, whoa, 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 easy. Hold your horses there, Abraham. This is God you're speaking to. He, he just comforted you, said, I'm, I'm your shield. You have a great reward. We're like, easy, buddy. Why you got to feel so entitled? But I think this is a huge deal for us to notice. Okay? I want you to notice a couple of things in Abraham's response here. Notice number one. Do you realize Abraham is actually distressed about the right things? Like what weighs heavy on the heart of Abraham is absolutely the right things. What what is weighing on the heart of Abraham is the promises of God. You see, we're all stressed. 
I have stress. My heart gets distressed about all kinds of things, but usually not the right things. Like I'm freaking out because we're going to be five minutes late to a meeting and I can't get kids in the van. I'm freaking out because somebody does something like not the way that I want it to be done. It's like, no, 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 don't do it that way. It's supposed to be done this way. Or I'm freaking out because somebody breaks something that's worth like $10. Everybody's got stress. Everybody's distressed about something. Okay, we all have that. Our hearts, not only that, like not, we're not just distressed about small things. We're distressed about bigger things too. When things don't go the way we want them to. Our hearts, they're, they're just like, they can be full of stress. Usually not stress over the promises of God. But see, Abraham, he's distressed about the right things. What's weighing heavily on his soul. He just wants the promises of God. And that's good. It's good when the promises of God weigh heavy on your heart. Okay? And not only is he distressed about the right things, but Abraham is actually distressed towards the right person. His distress, it comes out in the right place to the right person. And I don't mean that like we should have this like bad questioning attitude towards God. And I don't think that's what's going on at all in this situation. What's really happening is this. Abraham has like real concerns in his heart. He has real distress in his soul over the promises of God. And do you know where our, our stress usually comes out? Where, like, when our hearts are full of distress, do you know where that usually comes out? It usually comes out to other people. It is so tempting. And it is so easy for the distress of our hearts to come out in gossip Or in slander. See, a, a lot of times, I think we gossip or we slander. We, we don't identify it as gossip or slander. We're just stating what's true. But oftentimes our distress, it comes out in gossip and slander. Or in criticism. Or complaints or whatever it might be. It's just, it's just pouring out of our hearts to our spouse to a friend, to somebody else. And those things, they, they tend to, to leak out towards other people or we tend to freak out on other people. Okay, our, our, our stress and the distress of our heart, it, it can pile up in the heart and then it can just leak out in conversations, in relationships with people. Or it can all just come pouring out on people. But it doesn't always get dealt with in the context of conversation with the Lord, does it? And Abraham here, he's actually allowing the distress of his heart to be dealt with in conversation with God. And that is the right place, that is the right person for those things that weigh heavy on the heart to come out, okay? And sometimes I just, I want to go home and just complain to my wife um, because she loves me. She even likes me. <laughs> She's like unendingly kind to me. 
But you know what I really need to do? When my heart is building stress and it's weighing heavily, what I need to do first and more than anything else is to get with Jesus. To have a conversation with the Lord. Just like Abraham is doing here. Let me just stop here and ask a question. Where are you taking your stress? Everybody's got it. Where are you taking your stress? Everyone's got it. You know why I know that? Well, number one, because I'm a human being just like you. But number two, it's because I know, like, life doesn't go the way we want it to. It just doesn't. And, and there are so many spaces where we're reminded of that in painful, hard ways, either in relationships or in circumstances or, or house projects or whatever it might be. But are you bringing your complaints, stresses, hardships, the hurts of your heart? Are you bringing those things to the Lord first and foremost? And and are you doing that in such a way that you actually find real peace in your soul? Before you move on. Are you casting your burdens on the Lord? Are you allowing God to minister to you? Are you allowing God to humble you? To change your perspective? To bring truth? To apply the medicine of the gospel to your heart? Before you move on. First Peter 5. You, you, you probably know the passage. Peter, he, he, he teaches us. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I love that. First, he's like, hey, I just know that, like, this is what I need. My heart, it's like so full of distress. He's like, hey, you know there's a massive barrier between you and resolving that heart issue, right? It's your pride. So first of all, just humble yourself before God under his mighty hand. Do you remember that God's hand is mighty? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. God really cares for us and we can come to him, bring those burdens, bring that which weighs us down in humility to him, not in pride, but in humility. And he can deal with our hearts and give us peace. Are you doing that? Are you bringing your burdens to the Lord? And we see as this conversation with God unfolds between Abraham and the Lord, we see the comfort of God come to Abraham. And the comfort of God comes in three distinct ways, but it's really a package deal. Okay, And we're going to see those three ways that God brings comfort to Abraham through the text first, and then we'll just draw it out and spell it out very clearly. Okay, So Genesis 15, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Remember, he, he has distress. Concerns weighing heavily on his heart. And the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, this one will not be your heir. Abraham, one of his major concerns. Hey, my heir is not even my own son. It's a, it's a slave who was born in my household. And he says, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And I love this. He took him outside. 
And he said, hey, Abraham, look up at the stars and count the stars in the sky. There's, there's no light pollution here, just millions of stars. And he says, if you could count them, that is how numerous your offspring will be. In chapter 13, you remember, he had taken Abraham out and he said, look down at the ground. Look at the, the grains of sand on the ground. If you could count the dust on the ground, that's how numerous your offspring will be. And now he says, look up at the sky. Whether you look down, you look up, Abraham, you cannot escape my promises. God comforts Abraham. And he does it through three things. His presence, his word, and his promises. He comforts Abraham through his presence. He, he came to him. I am I am your shield, Abraham. I am here. And he came to him by his word in a vision. And he affirms his promises to him. He reminds him of the promise that he has given him. He says, look, Abraham, look at the stars in the sky. And remember, I've made a promise to you. He doesn't change Abraham's circumstances. Like nothing about Abraham's circumstances changed. A- Abraham was, was have, you, have you guys ever had this feeling before? I've had it. Where you're just unsettled. It's just like pit in your stomach. And life weighs heavily. It's like, oh. Do you know what I feel like I need? It's like, I feel like I need my circumstances to change. Whatever it is that's causing that just unsettled, almost nauseous feeling. Sometimes It's like, something needs to get fixed. Something needs to get changed. I, like, or maybe I just need to yell at somebody, whatever. I, some, but something needs to happen here. But none of that happens. God comes and he comforts Abraham His presence, His word, and His promises. Let me ask you a question. Is that enough to comfort your heart? Is that enough? Is God's presence, His word, and His promises enough to actually bring real peace that transcends all understanding to your heart? It is so easy to feel like unless something changes, then it's not okay. Like unless something gets fixed, unless whatever I perceive to be the wrong gets righted, like unless that happens, it's not going to be okay. I I cannot have peace or I, I, I can't really walk graciously. But think about this. God doesn't change any of Abraham's circumstances. And he doesn't come to Abraham and he's like, hey, that's right, Abraham. You should be distressed. He, he just comes to him in his presence, in his word, and he reaffirms his promise to him. And that is enough. And I think when we bring our distress, see, Abraham's distress is coming out in conversation with the Lord. But again, oftentimes my impulse is, man, I just want to go home and complain. I just want to find a friend and complain. When that's my impulse, I would say, generally speaking, 
I'm not looking for comfort in the presence of God, in His Word, or in His promises. I'm not looking for peace there. I'm looking for comfort or peace in just the ability to kind of vent, and get it off my chest to somebody who is going to agree with me, and is going to affirm my grievances and take them up with me. Like, I'm, I'm looking for comfort through a change in my circumstances, get it fixed, make it happen. I'm looking for comfort by, by like kind of trying to grab hold and, and, and take control of, of whatever I think is the issue that's troubling my heart. Man, I think we really, what we need oftentimes is just to get with Jesus. To allow his presence, his word, and his promises to be enough. To give us life. To find mercy, kindness, grace in the Lord. And Abraham, he receives the presence of God, the word of God, the promises of God. And even though nothing in his circumstances has changed, he applies faith to the promises of God. And not only does God comfort his heart, but he credits him as righteous. That's the third part of our text. And we're going to see how this is connected so deeply to the peace of our hearts, to the comfort of our hearts, and why this is so important and such a big deal. But I'll just say this. Before we go to the Word and we see this in our text, I'll just say this. Comfort in our hearts, peace in our hearts, if it's going to last and if it is going to honor God, it flows first from the presence of God, the word of God, and the promises of God. If comfort, if peace in our hearts is going to last and honor God, it flows first and foremost above everything else just from the simple presence of God in his word, his promises, not from changed circumstances. Comfort that flows first from changed circumstances you will find to be very temporary and fleeting. Here's the last verse of our text. Genesis 15, verse 6. God comforts Abraham by his presence, his promise, his word, and Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now what does that have to do with peace in our hearts? Well, I would say this. Our hearts are troubled not because of our circumstances. Okay? The reason there's so much trouble, distress, stress that that builds in the heart, it's not because of our circumstances. Instead, what our circumstances do is they bring to the surface the areas of sin in our heart that lack trust in the Lord, that lack life in the Lord. Oftentimes, our circumstances, all they're doing, they're just bringing to the surface the junk that already sits and lives in our heart. And what we need in order to have peace and comfort is righteousness from the Lord. That, that is what deals with the junk of our heart. It's not new circumstances. It's not someone else who will take up my grievance with me. It is actually 
righteousness from God himself. What our troubled hearts crave is something that no human being has the ability to give you. It's righteousness from God. This, this is why, for, for me, this is why like my impulse to come home and just complain to my wife, what I'm looking for is that like she's going to agree with me and through that I'm going to feel righteous. But we don't need the feeling of righteousness. We need real righteousness that only comes from God himself. We need a righteousness that's not our own. Our troubled hearts. See, it's like, why is it so comforting when somebody just agrees with us <laughs> in our grievance? It's because we, feel, we have the feeling of righteousness. Like, I am right. See, you agree with me, therefore I must be. But we don't need the feeling of righteousness. We need actual righteousness that comes from God. And our circumstances, our difficult circumstances, our troubling circumstances, they simply have a way of bringing to the surface the junk of our heart. And God himself is the only one who can deal with that. God himself is the only one who can address the real root issue of all of that junk, which is our sin. And to give us righteousness, to credit us with righteousness, to impute righteousness upon us. And through that, it's like our hearts, they suddenly have brand new life. Peace, comfort, grace, kindness, mercy that no one in the world could give you. Only God himself. What did Jesus say in Mark 17? He said, nothing that goes, sorry, Mark 7, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. See, our circumstances, they're just, they're just drawing out what's already on the inside that's messed up, that's defiled. All that trouble in our lives, it's not actually due to our circumstances. Our circumstances just have a way of bringing it to the surface. And what we need is not a change in circumstances. We need God's presence, his word, his promises, his righteousness. Okay, here's what Jesus commanded his disciples in John 14. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't do it. Don't, don't let your heart be weighed down with all of these stress, stressors. Don't, don't operate in life from this position of just stress. Believe in God, believe also in me. Why did he say this? Like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in Christ. Why would he say that? I think this is the reason. It is through faith in Christ that we receive everything, and I, I mean literally everything, that our troubled hearts actually need. It's, it's through simple faith in Christ. Do you know that you can have perfect transcendent peace without anything that's troubling you changing? I know that some, probably all of us, are troubled by something. There are things in our lives that they just, they bring out the trouble of our hearts. And I believe that what we learn in God's word is that everything our troubled hearts actually need is received first and foremost through the Lord 
by faith. It's by faith that we receive mercy. It's by faith we receive forgiveness. It's by faith we receive grace. And that causes the heart to sing, to rejoice. It's what our troubled hearts actually need. You, you don't need your circumstances to change. You also don't need to like have control over everything in your life. You don't need for things to go the way that you want them to go. You don't need the problem to be fixed. You, you don't need the right or the wrong to be righted. You don't need that. You don't actually need that. You need what God offers through Christ. Your troubled heart needs the grace of God, the righteousness of God, life from God himself. If you got everything you wanted in your life that you think would fix the trouble in your heart, it probably would be terrible for you. That's just the way that it is. I would never choose the way that God teaches me the most important and helpful lessons in my life. I would never choose it. But God has. And he knows what's good and he knows what's best. We receive it from his hand by faith. Okay? What we need, we receive. And you know, Paul, he takes this text in Genesis 15. So Genesis 15, 6, the reason it's familiar is that it is the foundational text that Paul takes. And he builds his entire doctrine of justification by faith alone. So how are we saved? It is not by works of righteousness. It's not by our deeds. It's not by circumcision. It's not by the law. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone. He builds that whole doctrine of justification through this verse in Genesis 15. He does it in Galatians chapter 3, which we preached through like four years ago. If you want to study that this week, you could go back and listen to it and study through that on your own. He does it again in Romans 4, which we're going to preach through and study this fall. So get excited for that. And Paul's whole point as he builds out the doctrine of justification is that like you don't need to fix your circumstances. There's not like this thing that you need to do. There's, there, there's not this control you need to regain of your life in order to produce salvation. You, you don't need works of righteousness. You don't need works of the law. You, you don't need circumcision. All that you need is actually received by faith through Christ. And so I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe in every single circumstance, every single day, in every single relationship, What you really need, first and foremost, before and above anything else, is what you receive by faith in Christ. And see, it's one thing to intellectually agree with that. And honestly, I think it's a pretty easy case to make scripturally. But it's an entirely different thing to live like that's actually true. To have relationships like that's true. To, to have interactions like that's true. To deal with our circumstances and our difficulties and our diseases and our disappointments. Like it's true, we have what we need by faith in Christ. You don't have to change a thing. We have what we need by faith in Christ. And just to close this morning, I want to give you two points of practical application from our passage. 
First, it's this. If you are in Christ, then allow the gospel to transform you every day. If you're in Christ, let the gospel radically transform your every day. Let it shape and transform your heart in every day, in every circumstance. Let it shape and transform your heart in your interactions with your kids, in your marriage, in the church, in your friendships. Let the gospel transform your every day. What, what do I mean by this is, is that we ought to come to one another. Like, do we have things that weigh heavy on our hearts? Yes, but we don't treat one another out of the weight of our stress or our difficulty or our hurts. We treat one another out of the peace of God that we receive when we have come to the Lord with our heavy hearts. And he has ministered to us. He has humbled us. He, he has spoken truth and promises to us. By his word, by his presence, our hearts, they've already been shaped by the gospel. In every circumstance where you find your heart to be troubled, I just want to encourage you, before anything else, go to God. Go to the Lord and look to the gospel. Look to the promises of God. See, don't just come to God and like throw all of the problems at him, but, but fail to look to his word or his promises. Come to him. Be ministered to by the Lord in his word, in his presence, in his promises. And let that bring peace, great peace and joy to your hearts. And then deal with one another. This is a big deal. Every one of our relationships, our interactions, our thoughts, they should be shaped first and foremost by the peace of the gospel, by the goodness and kindness and mercy of God. Allow your heart to marinate in the gospel. Should transform our every day. Second is this. If you are not yet in Christ, then you need to allow the gospel to transform your eternity. And you see, what's true is this. If you're not yet in Christ, like there are so many things in life that can cause trouble, but there is only one trouble that matters if you are not in Christ. And that is the trouble that God actually judges sinners. God deals with sin. He does. And if you are not yet in Christ, then you are staring the judgment of God right in the face. Okay, And the thing that ought to bring trouble to your heart, you need to let it bring trouble to your heart, is the reality that you will actually have to stand before God someday and be accountable for your sin. And apart from Christ, there is a very real, very eternal judgment coming your way. You need to allow the gospel to transform your eternity. What do we mean by that? Well, the promise of God is this. Yes, his judgment is coming to the world because of sin. And if you are outside of Christ, that judgment is coming for you. But because of the work of Christ on the cross to receive all of the full wrath of God, the judgment of God for sin, Jesus, he, he, on the cross, he received all of the wrath of God that your sin deserved and by faith in him as you trust him you actually receive the righteousness of christ and salvation 
from God through Jesus Christ. And if you are here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, you, you are not yet in Christ, then, then you need to allow the gospel to transform your eternity. You need to receive God's mercy through Christ. Trust him. Believe in him that God may credit you as righteous as Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you, God, that the gospel doesn't just transform our eternity. It really does transform every single day, every relationship, every interaction, every thought, God, can be shaped by the wonderful righteousness and peace that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's trouble in our hearts, God, that we would be looking to you before anything else, more than anything else, more than anyone else, God. We'd be looking to you to bring peace comfort. God, and to do it through your presence, through your word, and through your promises, God, help us not to make little of your promises, God, but instead to make much of your promises. May the promises of God weigh heavy on our hearts, and may we trust you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to take just a couple minutes here and, and come together to the Lord's table. Uh, to remember the work of Christ upon the cross. And we do it through the elements, the bread and the cup, which are under the seat in front of you if you want. Uh, If you're a believer in Christ, you can go ahead and grab those elements and and join us at the Lord's table. Uh, and, And really allow this time to shape our hearts through the gospel, through the truth that Christ, he has done all that is necessary for us to receive the righteousness of God, and through the righteousness of God, through the righteousness of Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavens. We, we don't need any changing of our circumstances. We need what Jesus offers through the cross. And so let's remember that. Let's let our hearts marinate in that this morning as we take uh, the Lord's Supper together this morning. But I would also say this. If you are not yet in Christ, I just want to say very lovingly but very strongly, you need to abstain from the elements. Okay, this is a time for believers, and our hope absolutely is that one day you would join us at the Lord's table. Um, but if you are not yet in Christ, that day is not today. So uh, take time and really contemplate the promises of God. Contemplate the message of the gospel. And our hope and prayer is that you would come by faith to Christ. Okay. Let me pray, and then you can take a few minutes at your seats to just reflect on and uh, worship Christ through the elements. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for Jesus. Thank you, God, that everything we need, everything our troubled hearts crave, God, it's actually found in Jesus, not in circumstances, not in anything else, Lord. It's, it's found in you. Thank you for the gift of righteousness through Christ. Couldn't earn it if we tried, Lord. Thank you that you give it as a gracious gift, Lord. We thank you that it costs you everything and you freely paid the price. And we pray This morning, Lord, for our time here, taking these elements, God, remind us by these physical elements. God, sear on our hearts the gospel and comfort us in your presence today, God.